This is Cammie. And this is Madeline. And you're listening to the Communities That Convert podcast. Episode number 16. And today we're talking about collaboration with Kirsten Oliphant. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Communities That Convert podcast with Madeline Sklar and Cami Hoiza. In this podcast, you will learn how to build a tribe of raving fans. You will hear tips, ideas, and advice you can use right now on how to grow your own community and provide value that inspires them to take action. Are you ready to get started? Today, we have Kirsten Oliphant on the podcast. She's an author and a blogger. She has a master's of fine art in creative writing, and she's the leader of the createifwriting.com podcast, website, and online community. She's the author of five books, including her latest, Creative Collaborations, How to Form a Lasting and Lucrative Partnerships Without Being Smarmy. In our last episode, we went over the seven types of content that will rock your community, and we looked at some really great things like you know, webinars, pre-recorded video, live video challenges, so many cool things. And Kimmy, I think that was one of our best episodes ever until today. Until today, because today we have somebody very, very special with us. And we've been talking about her and throughout almost every episode. Although you're going to have to go back and listen to them all to hear it all. But we <laughs> go have, binge listen. Yeah, go binge listen right now. And then come back because we have Kirsten Oliphant with us today. And she just finished her book, Creative Collaborations. And she's here to talk to us today about collaboration and how that can help you build your community. Hi, Kirsten. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. And I definitely don't feel that special, except when I listen to your podcast. I'm like, I am special. Madeline and Cammie think so. We do. We think you're very special. You do some (laughs) great things. And I mean, that's why we bring you up in, in past episodes. You are really killing it with doing, you know, running community, a successful community using Facebook as a platform. And, you know, we want to have you on and talk about this new book you've done on creative collaborations, which is such a great book. I've started reading it and really like all the things you talk about. So we have some questions for you in this episode to kind of enlighten us with this. So let's just hop on in. I want to ask you, you have built a number of online communities. Can you tell us about them and why you chose to build them? Yeah. So I think I'm trying to, I was actually, when you asked me this, I was thinking like, what is the first community that I built? And it wasn't that long ago, but it feels like forever because it was way back when I don't think Facebook groups were really a thing. And I put a call out on Twitter, which I know you'll appreciate Madeline, like, Hey, any writers want to join like a small little group? And I called it the writer's bra because it was all about support and Thankfully, only women joined because it would have been really weird. I don't think any, (laughs) I didn't tell people that's a name. So it wasn't like guys were like, I don't want to join some writer bra thing. Um, But it was just women (laughs) that joined. And it ended up being about six of us. And, you know, when you put a call like that on Twitter, you never know what you're going to get. And I would not do that now. But when I did it, you know, five or six years ago, it was like the perfectly aligned group of people. We had this little Facebook group. We would talk weekly about our struggles and the kind of things we were writing. We'd share for each other, but mostly just, support each other. And it was really neat to have that. And it's kind of faded now. Like everybody's kind of gone different directions, not in a bad way. Everybody's just doing different projects. And that was the very first one I built. But I feel like all of my communities have worked best on Facebook through the Facebook groups platform. But I have, 
I almost don't want to say how many groups I moderate. I think, I think it's like 30, which is really a lot. Um, I know they're not all super active or some of them are like temporary pop-up groups for like a challenge or, you know, I have a Facebook group for the people who help promote my books, but I don't always have books. So it's like only at certain times of the year, are they active, I guess. And some I'm kind of a co-leader of, but yeah, it's too many. I need to like go back and fix that. But they're almost all on, all my communities have been on Facebook because the platform just lends itself really easily to do that. So what are your current communities that you feel are really like growing and that you feel like are your flagship communities, if you will? Yeah. So creative writing is obviously my flagship and that goes along with my podcast. And, but it's interesting because as your community grows, I know you guys have one for this which I think I've already joined. And if not, I need to make sure I've done that because I heard the call to action like this morning when I was listening to the last episode. But it's funny because as you get bigger, Facebook starts recommending your group to people based on keywords. So I've had a lot of people find me and they have no idea I have a podcast. So that's totally a new thing that is going to happen to you guys too, is you'll have people join the group and they're like, oh, you have a podcast? <laughs> yes, just like the name of this group. <laughs> that's the name <laughs> of the podcast. You know, and it's in the description and it's in the big image and the header, but people still come into the group and they're like, oh, it's a writing group. Great. Because writing is in the name. That's my most active group and really where I put most of my time. I also have a group based around the Profitable Blogging Summit, which I've run the past couple of years, but that one's difficult because it's got a great group of bloggers in it, but we don't run the summit all the time. And so my sort of co-leader for the summit and I have just really talked about, okay, what are we doing with this group? Are we doing another summit? Do we keep it active during the year? Because it's a great group, great opportunity to connect with people. They're all there because they want to hang out, but it's a lot of work, as you guys know, to run a community. So like we've been you know, going back and forth about what that's going to look like. So those are kind of my two main active ones. And then I have a few smaller groups like my launch team, which has been active because I have a book out. And then my for Patreon, at a certain level, when people support the podcast, I have a private community of really amazing people. It's like 35 people who, you know, pledge a certain level. And that's the reward is getting in a a great group of people that's smaller. So there's a lot more sort of access to me. I'm a lot quicker to respond usually. And it's just a different feel, I think, than the big group, because you're not, we all know each other basically now because 35 of us. So those are the main ones. But again, I do have 30, but most of them are not active daily for sure. So what are some of the top tips you have for building a strong community? Well, I think the biggest one, and you guys have talked about this, I believe, before in episodes is you have to be present as a group owner. And I think that's the biggest thing I think is lacking in a lot of these groups. And and I actually just saw a notification, another big Facebook group, like one of those like 50,000 one person member groups or whatever is closing because they can't sustain it. And, you know, if you are not there as the moderator, as the leader, as sort of the center of the group, the whole bottom falls out. And, you know, as some of these bigger groups have closed, I like observing. This is how I learn. I just watched what's going on and kind of take mental notes. But I was watching this one group and the group owner was closing it, but she didn't delete it because actually this is a secret tip. If you want to delete a group, you have to delete every member first, which 50,000 people is a lot of people to delete. Like that's a lot of VA hours. You're going to pay somebody to do that, right? So what a lot of these people are doing is archiving them. So nobody can comment, but you can still see the group. So as it was getting archived, the group got really uppity. And people started saying, this isn't your group. This is our group. We're the ones who are in here. We're the ones having the conversations. And I thought that was really interesting. And it kind of speaks to this point that if you are not engaged as a group owner, whose group is it? Because if the community, the community should have a life of its own, but 
and not in a narcissistic way, if it's your community, you should still somehow be present. That doesn't mean you have to answer every comment, especially as your group gets bigger and people have questions. I love it when people in my group answer questions, but I also, I don't want to be totally absent. If somebody asks a question, if I don't have an answer, that's fine. And maybe I can just say, these are great answers, but I want to speak to that. I want to be present. I don't want people to not know who I am. And I did have somebody join recently who, you know, found the group because it was recommended as a writing group. And they had no idea who I was like, they didn't, my, you know, my picture's up in the header again, like all the links are there and all the stuff, but they still were like, Oh, you run this group. And I was like, yeah, like, nice to meet you. <laughs> but that <laughs> happens. And so, and I'm really active in that group. And so, you know, it just shows how, how active you have to be. And I think that's the biggest mistake is taking yourself out. It is a lot to manage, but those groups will sort of take a life of their own and snowball without you. And then it's really hard to get them back. And I, there's another group I'm in where the owner of the group had some family issues and he had this great active group and he stepped back and he's just, I've watched him and I'm trying to engage, but he's just struggling to get the engagement back up. And it's really hard. I mean, you know, people understand what happened, but it's really hard once the momentum dies. So those are the two kind of opposite things. The momentum dies, nobody talks or they take over your group and it's like mutiny. And they're like, get off the ship. This is now our community. And neither of those is like a really good option. Well, so what is a good ideal group size then? Like, you know, too big could get out of hand, but you don't want to be too small. So what's ideal? Oh, that's so hard for me. I'll tell you for me. And then I'll say, I'll say what I've seen some other people do. I don't want to, I would like to maybe stay under 5,000 at the most between five and 10,000 people. And you know, I don't see that happening anytime soon. I'm not in a hurry to grow some giant group. Cause again, I've seen some of these big groups become mutiny or become just people and I know how it is in my size group. People just drop links. They come in and they join your group and they immediately start spamming the wall with their book links and stuff or blog links or what, say whatever it is. I've seen another group owner. She said, you know, we're at 10,000 and it's capped out and we're not going to grow anymore. And we will every couple of months go through and kind of ask who's active and kind of see who's active. And I don't know how they're going to do that because that's, there are analytics now in groups, but it would, and there's, I think you've talked to this, Kimmy, Gritics. Yes which I'm not paying for currently, but I did do the trial and, ch- and it was really neat. But still, I don't know. I, I would have a hard time going to kick people out to make room for new people. It's kind of like, you know, when you get too many Facebook friends and Madeline, I knew you've had this problem where you have the cap and then you're yeah. like, do I kick people out to get new friends or what? But, but for a group, I think anytime they start getting above those thousands, people don't know each other. It's really hard to maintain the quality and it's really hard to get those spammy links under control. So that would be sort of my desire is to kind of be somewhere in that sweet spot of at the most between five and 10,000. But some people like those huge ones because, you know, they are active and you can sell things to those groups. And, but it's, again, it's hard to manage. And is it, is it worth it? And if there's that many people, are they all actually seeing your posts? Is the quality going to go down? Are they really going to want to buy from you either? Like, especially if, are you speaking into the group? daily, you know, and if you're not, then if you just show up every time you have a sale for something, it's like <laughs> that, which I've seen people do that too. And people don't like that. So I think it's just really hard to manage past that number, but it just depends on your goals and and what, you know, if that's your main thing is to have a giant Facebook group and you have three or four or five or six, or 10 moderators that you pay because you're making all your money through sales in the group. Hey, then better, more power to you. But I don't want that. I want to be very hands-on and I don't think that's going to serve my audience well. And I think that's great. You're saying that about you know, how do you make money with these things and how do you manage that part of it? Which is actually one of the questions we wanted to ask you really was how do you approach selling your services and training in your community without being, and this is your word, smarmy. So, you know, I love that word smarmy, by the way. 
I think you should like get some sort of trademark on that or something. But smarmy yeah. is something that I think we all feel, you know, when we're trying to, we have to make a living. We want to make some money. This is the communities that convert podcasts. That means converting to sales or some kind of action. So how do we get them there without like, you know, even some people not knowing who you are in your group, you know, when you come to sell to them and how do you get them not to sell as well? But the follow up probably, but you know, let's start with selling. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to that first big tip is first, you've just got to be active. You have to be in there and, and you guys do this and have talked about this. You got to provide value. You can't just show up to sell. You have to actually build the community and authentically engage, like not just like, oh, here's my post so that tomorrow I can sell. <laughs> but I would say if you have something to sell and you're like, oh, I haven't posted in three days, don't do that. Go post a couple of things first, have a conversation first and do it. But if you're active every day, you're not going to have to worry about that. Okay. So, you know, I think the balance, what I've found too, for me is, so I, everybody has their different revenue streams, right? And a lot of the ways that you can sell kind of will determine how you sell to the group. So my main income streams, I have my own kind of products and things. I do coaching, but I don't advertise that a lot because it takes so much time and one, you know, that's not super sustainable for me. So I do like maybe one to two clients a month. And then other than that, I have products, books, and affiliate sales. And affiliate has actually become my biggest piece, which surprised me. And as a person who loves creating things, I'm like, I would really love my top one to be courses and books, but okay. Like if this is making the money, then, you know, I'll keep putting interest, you know, uh, time into the books and products, but I need to really look at this affiliate stuff. So for me, what I've learned is I have to be super aware of my calendar for promotions. And as an example of something I screwed up and did, I love speaking. Right. And so I was asked to speak at like four summits this fall. And I was like, awesome. Yes. And these were all virtual, but the thing with those is then you're supposed to promote them. And I found myself like, they all asked me at different times, but like two of the summits were like the same week or one was a summit and one was a bundle, but both were things I was supposed to sell as an affiliate. And I hated that because I, one, it doesn't give each product the attention it deserves. So it's really, I feel like I I wasn't fair to the person running the program. I mean, I know they have tons of other people, so it wasn't, no one was mad at me, but I didn't like it. I want to be a good affiliate. If I'm, you know, representing a bundle or a a summit or a course, I want to be like totally in tune with that product. So you need to really plan out your calendar. And I'm going to do that next year is look at, okay, here, here are some big programs. I know, first of all, I'm not going to speak at that many summits. Okay. I have one on the calendar and that may be the only one for the year, unless I get a great offer from somebody like that's going to be it because I don't want to keep promoting. So I'm going to look at my calendar year and say, okay, you know, I have some things I promote all the time. Convert kit is one of those things that's all the time. But if it's like a, a launch of something, I'm, I'm going to make sure I only have one of those a month. So I think that's really helpful as a group owner, plan it out. Like, what are you going to promote next year? And it's, it sounds like a whole lot to think about the year. You could think about six months, but you know, what courses are you going to launch? When do you want to promote these things? What are some big, like if you already know, like, Hey, I always represent Marie Forleo's B school, which is not what I do, but a lot of people do, you know, already when it is, cause she's got it on the schedule. Some of the big programs I help with, I already know when they are for next year. So I could block out that month and say, okay, no summits this month, no bundles this month. This is all I'm doing. So I think it's, it's a, that can really help. And then, you know, I'm always very honest with people when I sell. So I think you have to find your voice. For me, it's that non-smarmy, like you were saying, like I try to embody that and I talk about it all the time. So I have to be sure that I'm saying like, okay, here's a product, here's who it's for and here's who it's not for. And I have a couple of people in my group that I know and they are course junkies. And so sometimes I'll tag them. I'm like, Stephanie, you cannot buy this because I know you have eight courses you haven't finished because you told me that last week. So like, do not (laughs) buy this. And I think the honesty with that, 
people trust me more because I'm not just trying to sell something. Like I don't want every single person in the group to buy everything I promote, right? That would be dumb. They don't all need the same things. And so I try to explain really clearly, this is for the people who this, and this is for the people that, and don't buy this if that, like if don't buy this bundle, if you didn't finish the courses from your last bundle, please, like that's not serving you. So I think all of those factors, finding sort of your sales voice and sort of the values that you have and building that trust and then planning it out. So you're not just constantly promoting things. Yeah. And I think that's great. Uh, Well, I was going to say one thing about that too, because some of the people listening are probably not going to be people that are course sellers or whatever. They're people that are nonprofits that are building community online and they have calls to action that they need to put out there. So translate this for your own self out there when you're listening to this, because it really is the asks that you have for people. You know, you have to give them something first before you're asking, asking, asking for something in return. So I really love that you put that out there. I really do. Thanks. Now we're going to switch gears and talk a little bit about your book. You have this awesome book you released last week called Creative Collaborations. And Kami and I were both honored to be included in this. Thank you very much. Have you collaborated with others to build your communities? That's a great question. And I loved having both of you guys in there, by the way. Of course, I cannot leave you guys out with your communities that you have built. So in terms of, I feel like I've collaborated on so many different levels. My main thing, creative, create if writing, I have done that alone. And, you know, it wasn't like I was like, I can only do this alone, but that's just kind of how it happened. I did have, I have a guy who's kind of a volunteer community manager named Matt McCarrick. He has a really great podcast called the one verse devotional podcast. And he just kept messaging me like, I want to help. I want to help. I want to help. And he was like, I know I'm annoying you, but I want to help. And I was like, okay, well, let's, let's just let this happen. And he's at a place right now where he had to step back a bit, but for a while he was posting discussion threads and they were doing great. And often they were doing better than my discussion threads, which I was like, Hey, but I don't mind. Like he was, and and he knew this. And I talked to my community about this. Like he was representing me in a way in the group. He had the same values that I had. He wasn't trying to promote discussion to promote his other things. Like he wasn't trying to have some, he didn't have like an underlying motive. He just really enjoyed it and was like, I'm learning from you. And this is helping you out. So I think those kinds of relationships can be great. If you're not paying someone, then it's going to kind of ebb and flow because right, he's he's super busy right now. So hasn't been doing as many of the discussions and things. But for, you know, whenever he's able, he kind of pops in and does that and people start to know him. I did build the Profitable Blogging Summit along with Paula Rallo. And, you know, I think it's so, it can be so amazing, but also so hard to build these communities because like I said, with the summit community, we're trying to decide, okay, are we going to do another summit? We've done two. Do we want to do another if so, what does that look like? If not, what do we do with this group? You know, and how should we engage the rest of the year when the summit is one week out of the year? What does it look like for the rest of the year? You really have to both try to get on the same page. I think values is the most important. You just have to have the same kind of values and that trust because if not, I've definitely had some partnerships that burned me or burned other people. Like they just did not work. And everybody had different motives and different times and then the expectations and you get frustrated with people for not doing, like not pulling their weight when they were supposed to do these things and they didn't. So you have to kind of start with that trust, but you also kind of have to align with your time. Like if I have 10 hours a week, I want to dedicate to the summit group and she has two, and yet we're selling joint affiliate products or something else, then that starts to feel unfair. Like if one of you's doing a lot and that's not what our situation is, but just as an example, you know, you have to kind of think about what does this look like? And if you are selling to your community or benefiting like through an email list, that's not joint, like your separate email list. So she and I will talk and say, Hey, I've got this promotion. Can I post it in the group? And I'll say, sure, I've got a promotion coming up next week. So can I post that then? And kind of 
just okay it with each other. Cause those are separate. Like we're not splitting the profit. So if somebody signs up for the thing she posts, she gets money. And if I promote something, they get money for me, or sometimes we do things together. So there's gotta be those really good open lines of communication. And I think depending on, and I talk about this in the book, but depending on the level of commitment in, in that collaboration, you really want to think about that level of trust. Like I could totally join in and be a speaker on a summit and I wouldn't do it for somebody I didn't love, you know, but I would always check the person out first who's running it. Cause I've seen some summits where, you know, there were some things that were said that were like racial slurs. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this is a nightmare. I don't want to be on this. And I wasn't on them. I just saw it happen. And I was like, this is like a PR nightmare for that company who's running the summit and their speaker just went rogue on them. So I always want to check it out, but that level, like you do it and then it's done. Whereas starting a Facebook community or like you guys have done starting a podcast, that's a huge level of commitment. So you have to know the person and trust them. So I would say start there, but you know, also align your time and kind of what you want to get out of it. Cause if one of you wants to just build like an empire and the other one wants to just make money, like fast cash, like those are really different goals. And so that would make this podcast feel a little bit like mm-hmm. people are pulled in different directions. There's gotta be a that's, lot of communication. That's for sure. That's absolutely true. And of course people go through different seasons and that kind of thing. So collaborations are definitely not, you know, easy, but they are definitely worth it because you get a lot of different points of view. And one of the things that I think is great about your book is there's a ton of really great stories in there about collaborations that you've gotten from community builders that they use with success. Do you have one that kind of stands out to you or one or two that really stand out to you that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, I won't share either of yours because then I would have to like, decide like, who came around? Although you guys both have great stories in there. So I'll, I'll try to think like one of the ones that kind of, I think was really, there were two that were really neat to hear about. And I'll, one of them, I'll explain even how it came through because it was kind of that in itself was interesting. So writing a book about collaborations and collaborating is very meta. So one of the guys that I asked, uh, Brian Cohen, who's a, an author, I asked him to talk about box sets because he's been on several box sets and a lot of independent authors are joining together, doing a box set and all of them putting a lot of ad budget behind it to get on a bestseller list so that then they can say, I'm a new, I'm a, well, New York Times is really hard to get on, but USA Today bestseller, Brian Cohen, you can put that behind your name because you've been a bestseller, you've been on that list. So a lot of authors are banding together to do this and it's a lot of work behind the scenes. So I really wanted to pick his brain because he's done like three of these. And he was like, I just don't have time. And he was like, I really want to. And I said, Brian, what do you have time to do? I said, could you do something like, I don't care what format it could be, you know, really short. And he said, I know I can just record audio. And I said, great, I'll have it transcribed. So he, in order to collaborate on the book, which I think is kind of a cool story, he just, and I could hear him like making coffee. Like he was just hanging around in the kitchen transcribing. So he was just talking. And so that I, or he wasn't transcribed, I transcribed, but he was just talking and sent me the audio, which was great. And he also, you know, that was a really interesting take that this is the kind of a new thing that a lot of authors are doing is going in together on these box sets. So I think that was a really interesting story to kind of hear how that works behind the scenes. And then I also, I thought this was fun. Paula Rollo contributed about kind of working. I didn't know. I was like, I don't know how to title this chapter, but it was kind of doing work for other people for free in exchange for something. And I've done that and had it go south, but she had some great tips for this. Like she helps run some big Facebook pages for other people who have tons and tons of likes. And as a result of scheduling their sharing, she gets a several slots a week. And then that brings traffic to her site. And so she runs somebody else's Facebook page. And then she had somebody offered to do that for her who's below her in terms of Facebook likes. So she's like, I don't schedule my own Facebook page. Somebody else does that for me to get shares. Meanwhile, I'm scheduling this Facebook page. And I thought that was kind of a cool way, like behind the scenes, like we don't see that up front. It's all shown, you know, sharing from that page, but that 
you know, you can find ways that are beneficial to work with people that aren't going to cost you money, but you know, are some kind of active service. And I thought that was really cool to, and she said, you know, think about what your needs are and then see how you might be able to meet that need for somebody else who could then, you know, hand something back to you that makes it worthwhile. Oh, that's great. That's really great advice. And you know, what, what I really love about the book so far, and I've been kind of racing through it the other day, I had to physically put it down because I, I had to get some work done, but it is very how-to. There's a lot of really good information in there that really is actionable, which is something that Madeline and I love. We like action. So we really appreciated that, or at least I did. Yeah, absolutely. Really great book. I love the story you just told about how the guy was just too busy and he just gave it to you in audio format. And it really shows our listeners that, you know, you can make the rules. It could be anything you want, how you put together projects, how you do collaborations. When you were telling that story, it's like flashback two years ago, I was invited to participate in a book. I was too busy. Same exact scenario. I said, I'm too busy. I do not have time. But they wanted me to contribute about Twitter chat. So I said, I tell you what, I can record it. I'll come up with a list of questions. You or somebody on your team will get on Skype, have them ask me the questions. I will talk it out and that will you know, transcribe it to book format. Took 45 minutes of my time and I have a chapter in the book. So, you know, there's so many different ways you can collaborate and make things work for people's schedule. So I love that story. That was so cool. We got to unfortunately wind down. Uh, you know, this has been amazing. You sharing all this valuable information. How can people find you online and how can they get your book? Awesome. Yeah. Well, createifwriting.com. And that's like create if you're writing, not creative writing. <laughs> So play on words, but then becomes confusing. But createifwriting.com is where everything is. It's kind of the hub. You can connect to the Facebook community through there and hear the podcast. And the book, I do everything through pretty links. So it's really easy. So if you go to createifwriting.com and then forward slash CC, you'll get to creative collaborations, just the letters CC. So that's really easy. And uh, yeah, I, I think everything is kind of right there where people can find me. So yeah. And you had a nice gift for our audience too. You told us that you had something you might be willing to uh, share with us that sounded pretty cool. Yes, I have a video training. It was from a workshop that I did on how to kind of best practices for Facebook groups. Since that's what I'm, that's like my language is the Facebook groups. And it's always changing. I think some things have changed since I recorded it, but it still has a lot of like tips and things that are totally still relevant. I think there's new tools that have been added, but I don't think anything's taken away. So if people want that, they can go to createifwriting.com and then it's just a forward slash FB training. So like Facebook FB training. And so um, I'll give you guys that link. And yeah, you can watch a video and kind of if you want to start your own group or if you have one and you're like, why isn't this working? It should provide some encouragement for you because it's really hard to start. Like people don't realize the first 50 people, you just feel like a loser because you're like, there's only 50 people and no one will talk. It's like everybody's waiting for somebody else to talk. And so sometimes they're just, silent. And like, <laughs> it's really, you're like, feel kind of embarrassed. Like you keep posting things with no link. So it's kind of encouraging for you guys. If you're starting out and you're like, no one's talking, everyone hates me. It's like, no, no, no. You just keep pushing. So um, yeah, that'll help your, your listeners out if they want to start a group. Awesome. I think I'm going to even listen to it. You know, I think you can always learn. So I love learning from you for sure. So thank you so much for coming and spending your time with us today. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's really fun to be on here. And, and since you mentioned there's a drinking game, do people just have to like drink through this whole episode? Is that how that works since I'm on here? <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe just coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And I know that at your book party the other day, you had like a really great rum distillery as a sponsor called Grateful Dane, right? Grateful mm -hmm. Dane. Yep. 
Yeah. So that's like this big rum distillery in Houston. He's big now because we, you know, he sponsored us. <laughs> so anyway, great. Yeah. Drink people. And the call to action for this episode is to get Kirsten's book, Creative Collaborations, How to Form Lasting and Lucrative Partnerships Without Being Smarmy. It's only 99 cents at Amazon. How long is it going to be 99 cents, Kirsten? You know, it's only going to be 99 cents through this week. But if you guys let me know the week of recording, if you let me know when the, this is live, I'll make it uh, 99 cents for a couple of days for you guys, for your, for your you listeners. You are so awesome. So creativewriting.com slash CC. But even if it's not 99 cents, it is worth every penny. So get it anyway. And Kirsten is also giving us a cool free training class, how to start an effective Facebook group. So do take advantage of this and tweet us at Madeline's Clark and at Kimmy Chat. Let us know how this is working out. We want to hear from you. Let us know that you got the book. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. Hey, this is Madeline, and I want to let you know you can connect with us on our website at communitiesthatconvert.com. You can get all the information in the show notes for this episode, and we also encourage you to visit us on our Twitter profiles. You can reach out to me at Madeline Sklar, that's spelled M-A-D-A-L-Y-N-S-K-L-A-R, and also to Cami. Her Twitter handle is at CamiChat, and that's spelled K-A-M-I-C-H-A-T. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening to the Communities That Convert podcast with Madeline Sklar and Cami Hoiza, where you learn how to build a tribe of raving fans. Stay in touch with Madeline and Cammie through their website at communitiesthatconvert.com. Communities That Convert.